Eckhart. Thank you so much for that. Um, that never gets old, amen? amen? When Yet when he was on that cross, he was always, always, always thinking about us. That's how precious we are in the sight Church of a holy God. Yeah. Amen. I uh, am excited to be here tonight and uh, for the next several nights and through Sunday morning. And this is an honor, a great honor that you would have us and that we could just have a part in sharing God's Word with you all. I also want to extend just thanks again just for allowing my wife and I and I've done that once she's just her health has not allowed her to but just the opportunity to come and to have a part in the lives of the children here at your Christian school uh, whether it's uh, preaching the chapel or just substituting it's a great honor to know that there is a ministry to where you can have a part in the lives of children keep this in mind we the Lord could take us at any time. We don't know when that's going to come. The Bible says, Boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We could go at any time. But one of the greatest things that we can do is to invest in someone who's probably going to outlast us. Yeah. And that's to have that opportunity to have the part in the life of a, of a young child. So I want to thank you for that, just for allowing us to use and to exercise the gifts that the Lord has given to us through the Holy Spirit. Uh, and again, just uh, the pastor, I think we first uh, had a conversation back in May, and I've enjoyed the conversation, the talks that he and I have had together, and uh, again, just praying just uh, for he and his wife. Church, I want to say that uh, I've, there's a lot that the Lord has uh, laid upon my heart to preach, and I, uh, I won't one of the things that he has given me direction on and I want I want peace on when to deliver but we all go through trials we all go through storms somebody may be going through a storm right now someone may have just left a storm someone may be going into a storm and you're not aware of that but God allows us to go through storms in our lives so that he can teach us and to help us not only grow and strengthen our faith in him but for other people as well that can go through storms I don't I don't have quite the peace tonight on that but I'm praying about when also the Lord has let me know as well he's, he's directed me also to another area of just what an impact what an influence we can make now it does not matter it does not matter our age in this you can make a difference but tonight I'm just I'm really just, my heart's heavy on this, of just what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And I know this, when, when we go back and when we look in the scriptures from cover to cover, and when we see just what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, it does something in my heart and in my life, and I'm so thankful for that. What, you know, and again, God has saved us for a reason and for a purpose that he's left us here. With that thought in mind, I want to ask if you could, journey with me over to the book of Philemon the book just before the book of Hebrews Mr. Al Simmons pleasure good to praise the Lord good to see you here tonight sister amen many new faces that I'm getting to meet and some familiar faces from the teenagers and and uh, from from being over here in the school so again just such a blessing to get to be here tonight um, 
And let me give you a background, church, just again, going into Philemon. This is, even though it is a short letter, a short epistle, 25 verses, but keep in mind, this is one of the four, one of four letters that Paul wrote on his first uh, prison missionary journey, and it was, he was in his Roman imprisonment. Paul also, it's one of the uh, letters that he is writing in prison. The other prison epistles would be Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Something else that stands out about this book, it's one of four letters that Paul writes to individuals. He wrote one to Titus, he wrote two to Timothy, first and second Timothy, and now he's writing to Philemon. In this book, even though it is the shortest of Paul's epistles, it is jam-packed with teaching and good doctrine. Of course, doctrine is good, but it is loaded with that. There's some things that, with the help of the Lord, I just want to reveal and bring out here to you, but the background of this, Philemon, he is uh, a slave of Onesimus, and Philemon has escaped. He has fled from uh, Philemon, and he is on the run. He is moving, and uh, Philemon is a wealthy Colossian believer. He's a longtime friend of Paul, and Onesimus here, he is on the run. He's on the move. Now, some think that he may have been trying to go to Rome. If he goes to Rome, because the heavier populated city, he could probably never be found again, never, be, never been sought out. But we know on reading this, when you read down to let's, fact, let's go ahead and read uh, Philemon verse 10. Um, let, me go, let me go back uh, and read up at verse 5, excuse me. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus Christ, toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation of our love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee being such an one as Paul the aged and now also prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, in whom I would have restrained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing that thou benefit should not be as though it were of necessity, but willingly. Verse 15, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Notice in verse 16, Not as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, and how much more unto thee, both in flesh and in the Lord? If thou count me therefore as a partner, receive him as myself. And if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, notice, put that on mine account. Here we see Onesimus here. He is on the run and he's fleeing, as some believe again, to go to Rome to think that he could never be found again. Well, according to these scriptures, Paul says that he is his, he says, my own son, his son of the faith. At some point and at some time, why? Onesimus was on the run, he crossed paths with Paul. Yeah. Now, keep this in mind. 
Paul's testimony was this. His blood has come from the hands of all men. In other words, when if you, if you and I were back in the days of Apostle Paul, and if we crossed paths with Apostle Paul, at some point in that conversation, Paul would bring up Jesus. He would bring Jesus up. And he would declare that Jesus is the Savior. And he's the only way. And unless you have been forgiven, unless your sins have been washed away, you're never going to make it to heaven on your own. So at some point, Paul and Philemon, or excuse me, Onesimus, cross paths. And he declares Jesus unto Onesimus. And we see here that Paul is writing this letter to his master there. And he tells him, don't receive him back as a servant, but receive him as a brother. Receive this man. He's not the man that he used to be before. In fact, he's going to do you good. Paul's simply saying this, Philemon, this is a good brother in the Lord. Amen. And if you don't want him, I'll take him. I can use him. He said before that his name, that he may have been unprofitable, but now he is what? Profitable to me and the ministry. You know, that's just like us. That the adversary, the devil, will try to convince us that we are nothing, that we can never be used of our past and everything. But the Lord has changed us. He has saved us. And we are profitable for the Lord. The Lord has a purpose. The Lord has a reason for our existence. Now notice here with me. Here in verses uh, 10, again, their paths cross. In verse 11, he is now profitable. In verse 16, he says he is now a brother. And in verse 18, here's where we're going. He says, if he's wronged you, if he's owed you anything, guess where you're to, you're to send that payment to? Guess whose account you're to put that on? Paul says, you're to put that on my account. Because Paul says, I am good for it, and you know it. Well, you know what this tells me, all in all? We had a debt that we owed, that we could not pay. But guess who paid that debt for us? Jesus! Jesus paid that debt for us. No work that we could ever try to do, no teamwork that we could ever try to do could ever satisfy the just demands of a holy God. Only Jesus could do that because Jesus was perfect because Jesus is sinless, I should say. He's the only one that can please and satisfy the just demands of a righteous father. Onesimus, if he still owes you anything, put that on mine account. Now, just as a beautiful, beautiful picture this is of Jesus taking our sins and putting them on our account, we see this is a wonderful picture. Just if we take a look at this, if we really let this epistle, and we really let the, the Spirit speak to us, it can affect our lives and allow us to have a better understanding, a better knowledge of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, how much He loves us. In this epistle, we see Jesus as the payer of our sin debt. The payer of that. Notice, here, this is one of the greatest examples of the doctrine, the teaching of imputation in the scripture. Now, imputation means to put on one's account. How many of you have ever had a debt? Yeah, I think we've all at one time, we've had a debt, whether it be spiritual or whether it be financial. We've all had these debts. But in that debt, have you ever had a debt and you've ever had that debt paid, forgiven? Pop your record. How liberating that feels to know that that is not on your account anymore. Yes, it seems sweet peace to my soul too. But here we see this. It means that Jesus places his righteousness on our record. 
And what he does is, is this is church, that he places his righteousness on our record. And all our sins are placed upon him. And he went to the cross at Calvary for us. Not because of anything that we've done, but because he loves us. We had a debt that we owed, that, we, we, that God would, would, would uh, uh, require of us, and we could not pay that. But Jesus, praise the Lord, he is sinless. The Bible declares that Jesus is sinless. Now, there will be some out there in the world that will try to tell you that Jesus wasn't perfect and that Jesus sinned a little bit. But I'm telling you, church, the Bible declares that in him was no sin at all. Jesus never sinned, not once. He, brother, he never even had an impure thought. The Bible says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 21, that he who knew no sin... The Bible declares in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 22, concerning Jesus, who did no sin. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, in verse 5, concerning Jesus, and in him is no sin. And the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 14, this is the fourth time, that when Jesus offered himself to God, he offered himself without a spot, without blemish. In other words, that was holy, that was acceptable unto the Lord. I am so thankful. What a wonderful truth of knowing that. That all, all, all our sin, all our unrighteousness was placed upon him. And he went to the cross at Calvary. Justified. Just as if we had never sinned because... He put his righteousness on us. When God sees us, it's just as if we have never sinned. The doctrine here of imputation, to put on one's account the core, the substitutionary death of the innocent dying for the guilty, that's all through the scriptures. We know that going back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, the first couple, husband and wife, sinned. And what did they try to do? They tried to cover up their sin and their shame on their own. I mean, there they were. They saw themselves as naked, guilty, shameless there, and they tried to cover it up with fig leaves. Now, keep this in mind. They were in God's garden, and yet they were trying to hide from God. The mentality of what sin would do to a man. Sin, gets, sin messes his head up. They thought they could hide from God. And yet, when they, God proclaims out to them, Adam and Eve, well, Lord, we, we hid ourselves. We're, 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 we've covered ourselves up, but that was not good enough. In fact, when you look over to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, you'll find this, that God took an animal. And God killed that animal, sacrificed that animal. The blood was shed because of that. And the skins of that animal was now placed upon Adam and Eve. You see, the innocent had to die for the guilty. That pictures the cross of Christ. Amen. Here, then, when you look over in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 22, or Genesis 22, if you could, if you want to follow me along, you can. And uh, if you don't, that's fine. I, I want to read and at least teach some from this so we can see this. But in Genesis 22, here we see the account that's the offering of Isaac at Mount Moriah. Now, this is a wonderful, wonderful picture here. 
It's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the Father offering up His only Son. It's also a type of a sinner being punished for their sins, but finds a substitute to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's represented by that ram that's caught in the thicket. And in Genesis 22, we find here, and as we let me get over there, as we read, the Bible says in verse 1, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and sent him uh, and, and said unto him, Abram, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him for a burnt offering upon the mountains which I will tell of thee. Now keep in mind, we're talking about the innocent dying in place for the guilty, a substitutionary death. And in verse 3, Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son clave into the wood for a burnt offering and rose up and went to the place which God had told him. And then on the what day church? On the what day church? The third day. Are we drawing a picture here? You see this? Now go back. Go back. Well, I tell you, let me read on. And he saw the place afar off and Abraham said to the young men, Abide here with the ass and I will tell the lad uh, will go yonder and what? Worship and come again unto you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and the knife. Now church notice this. He took the wood, the what in his hand? The wood. The wood. What did Jesus Christ die on? The cross of Calvary. Yes, for our sins. And notice this church also. The father's commanding here. Notice also. And he, what sharp instrument did he take with him? The knife and the knife because there would be they would kill, they would slay, there would be death. Jesus Christ not only died, he was not only laid upon the cross of Calvary, but he went on the cross of Calvary, he died for our sins. And also we find this church, and there would be fire in his hand, and that fire would be the judgment upon the sin. Now, here's little Isaac, who'd been taught ever since he was a little boy, ever since he's a little boy, taught by his mom and daddy. If you're, to, if you're to go to worship, there must be a sacrifice. There must be a sacrifice here. Very, very key here. Very, very important. In other words, Abraham's just asking daddy a simple question and a good question. Daddy, I see the wood. I see the knife. I see the fire. But daddy, we got a problem here. I don't see a sacrifice. I don't see a sacrifice. This is so important. Because there are more and more and more and more people trying to congregate today and trying to worship without who? Without the Lamb. And you can't have worship without the Lamb of God. There is no worship apart from Jesus. If we are meeting without Jesus, praise the Lord. I feel the Holy Spirit. We're not. That's worship. That is worship. His answer was God Himself would do what? Provide that lamb. Everybody in mind, provide that lamb. Woo! Let me give you another one. We could look over in Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus chapter 12, we see again a beautiful, beautiful picture here. Types again of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb. And in Exodus 12, very... Let me uh, read this one to you. It says in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11... For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now let me stop right there and let's go back to this. 
the qualification for those in the homes, those families, those lives. Judgment was coming across Egypt, church. Judgment was coming across the entire land of Egypt. And if anyone was going to be redeemed, if anyone was going to be delivered through that judgment, they had to have these qualifications. And notice this. The Bible says in verse 3, it's talking, take every man a lamb, a lamb for a house. Verse 5, your lamb will be without blemish, a male of the first year. Do you see that? Without blemish. In other words, it couldn't have a blinded eye. It couldn't have a disease. It couldn't have a broken leg. You, you see Jesus in this? Amen. And we go on and we look, church, and we see here, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month of the whole assembly of the congregation. And you shall kill it in the evening. And you shall take the blood and strike it upon the two side posts and upon the upper door, upon the houses, wherein they shall eat it. So they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to strike it upon the doorpost of the house. Now, judgment was coming all through Egypt. And judgment was going to come. And the blood was not applied to the doorpost of the house. Judgment was going to come in and take the life of the firstborn male. And we see in verse 13, A blood shall be to you upon a token upon the houses of where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you while I smite the land of Egypt. And you know, church, just is what it is. Judgment will. Judgment is coming to all mankind. And man's only hope is by and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Again, we see the innocent dying for the guilty. Let's turn over to Leviticus. Leviticus in chapter number 14. Dry mouth. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. <laughs> Leviticus 14, Turner. In Leviticus 14. Now we see the regulations for the cleaning of a leper. Leprosy. Now, while I turn there, the healing of the leper is a spiritual picture of salvation. Where the cleansing of the leper is a spiritual picture of sanctification. And by sanctification, we mean set apart from sin and sanctified, consecrated unto the Lord. Leviticus 14, let me get there. Let me uh, read in verse 4 for you. And the priest commanded to take him, for that is to be cleansed, two birds alive and clean, in cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it in the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and, the, and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over running water. Now notice in verse 7. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. Now journey with me over to verse 17 because I want to mention just something again, just, just something some, that kind of goes back to this about the, the uh, healing and the cleansing here. In verse 17, in the rest of the oil, 
that is in the hand of the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed and upon the thumb of the right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot and the blood of the trespass offering. I just, just mentioned here again that the, the, the healing there, there is a cleansing of that leper there when the priest is to do his ceremonial duties this is and I'm going to get back to the bird there for a moment but what he's to do is at the end of this he is to take that blood from that sacrifice there with that oil and he is to take and he put it on the right ear he is to put it on the right thumb and he is to place it on the right big toe now with this thought of being sanctified, being consecrated unto the Lord, being set apart from sin and separate, consecrated unto the Lord. God is interested. Since we are not our own, we've been bought, we've been paid for, we're not our own. Our temples are, belong to the Lord. God is concerned about what we listen to. God is concerned about what we do with our hands. God is concerned about where we go in this life. God's all about us. But let's go back and look at these birds here for a moment. Two birds in verse 4. They're to take two birds alive. And one of those birds, church, one of those birds are to be killed. They're to be killed because there is this ceremonial procedure that this priest is supposed to do for the cleansing, that healing of that leper. And he's to take the blood. Once he, he's going to ruin the neck of one of those birds. He's going to kill that bird. And the blood that's going to come out of that bird, he's going to take that living bird, that other bird that, that was alive now, and he's going to take the blood of that dead bird and he's going to dip it in the wings of that living bird. And then the Bible tells us that in the latter end of verse 7, that he shall pronounce him clean, and this is talking about the blood now, and he shall let the living bird, what? Loose an open field. Amen. This is his priest. Now what do you think about this bird? Look at that bird over there. <laughs> He's dead. This could have been you. But you're not in this place. You're in this place. And you have blood upon your wings as a testimony. That someone else died in your place. Now, you let loose in that open field. And I can just see that bird. I'm free. I'm liberated. Somebody died in my place. So I didn't have to die. Praise the Lord. Bless him. Yay. You know why I'm here? Amen. <laughs> yes. Somebody died in my place. You're free. <laughs> Somebody died in my place. I didn't have to be here. But long ago, somebody died in my place. Because of this woman who loved me and gave his life for me, I can be a living testimony of resurrected life, transformed, daily serious about nothing else, more like Christ. And everywhere that bird went, somebody died in my place. So I didn't have. 
Did I go to hell? Somebody died in my place. What a testimony. I think about when I was six or seven years old, my brother and I were adopted. Mom later married and my stepdad, he adopted us. We grew up without a dad. We spent many, many weekends and summers with my grandmother. And my grandmother kept and collected Reader's Digest magazines. She read them. And after being bored of playing games, I can remember six or seven reading this and story. And what Reader's Digest wanted, they wanted to know who your greatest hero was. And they were going to take all the stories and read these stories and whichever one they thought was be complimentary to who would be the greatest hero that's what would make that next magazine and this is what that story was two brothers who were born on the east coast they spent their summers with their grandmother out on the west coast and there at their grandmother's house they loved to go to grandma's in the summers they loved her company they loved her cooking. They just loved being with grandma. They would spend all day, it seems, out in her backyard playing. And they would, she had a big, big backyard. Well, she had a neighbor. And they had a mean, mean, vicious dog. And the, the neighbor's dog was always barking and growling at them and scaring the kids. But the dog was kept by a chain. And one day while the boys were out playing, the younger brother, he left. And he was going to go back in for more refreshments and then come out and see his younger brother. While the older brother is leaving, coming back toward the house, big difference between the two, that dog broke his chain. And then it's at that point, the older brother turns back and he looks and he hears that dog is growling and running. And he's about to jump over that fence and go back into his grandmother's backyard where his little brother's at. And that older brother, with knowing that there's nothing that he could do to get help on his own, he had to act, he had to intervene at this time, he began to run toward his younger brother. And as I'm reading this story, the story goes on to tell this. Now it's written by the younger brother. The younger brother is writing this story. And as the older brother is running toward the other younger brother, he tells the younger brother, I need you to get up and run toward me. Just run. And the little brother gets up and he's running toward the brother, not knowing what's going on. And then when the little brother sees that dog coming in his direction, the younger brother begins to cry and run even harder. And the older brother is telling the young, younger brother, don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. I'm taking care of it. And he's running. And as the little brother is running closer toward the older brother, and he knows that they can't outrun that dog. As soon as their paths cross, it's as if the younger brother says he hears this sound, boom! And as he turns around, he looks. That dog is on top of his older brother, biting and chewing at him. 
Help was called. Neighbors came. They got the dog off the older brother. Through months and months and months of surgeries. This goes back more than 40 years ago. Through months and months of surgeries. Doctors did what they could do to try and get that brother looking normal. But every time and for years and for the rest of his life, when the younger brother sees the older brother, he is reminded of those scars. He is reminded of that very, very day that the older brother took care of it all. He didn't have to be there, but he chose to be there. He came to the salvation of his life of that younger brother. And it reminded me once I become saved of what Jesus has done for us. He died in our place. He didn't have to, but He chose to. It was for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but I shall have everlasting life. But God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. No amount of work that we could ever do could please or to satisfy the just demands of a holy and righteous Father. But Jesus did it. Jesus did it. He died in our place. And so it is. We're not saved because of our good works. We're not saved because of our right doing. If you're saved here tonight, it's because you accepted the sin bearer. His righteousness was placed on our account. Our sin was charged to Him. And in God's eyes, that was acceptable to the Father. Jesus taking our sin debt. God demands absolute perfection. Absolute perfection. The Bible says that sin has come between us and a righteous God. And the consequences of that sin is that we're lost. We're hopeless. We can't find our own way. We can't do anything to take care of that on our own. Sin has separated us from God. But there is hope. The Bible says that unless someone intervenes, unless someone takes our place, we can't remove the sin on our own. But that was Jesus Christ. And God loves you. And it all begins when a person decides to say yes. Jesus earnestly wants to impute His righteousness to our record, to our account. Will we let him? Back in the mid-1800s, this is during when Andrew Jackson was president. George Wilson was a known thief. A known thief. And George Wilson actually was granted a presidential pardon. Presidential pardon to keep from being hanged. George Wilson was granted that pardon. 
But according to the courts, according to the judge, though he was granted that pardon, he had to receive it. He had to accept it. It has already been done, but he had to receive it. George Wilson willfully chose, willfully chose to refuse to reject that pardon. The judge in the case said this, that because he's rejected it, he can't be forgiven of it. Wow. He must hang. George Wilson hung by the neck. Going to Luke's account of the gospel, there were two sinners, on, on, one on each side of Jesus. One saw his need saw his estate and he just cried out this simple prayer Lord remember me remember me Jesus said this day thou wilt be with me where? in heaven and the other had an opportunity he refused and he rejected many 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 around thinking that they're fine that they can go to heaven on their own way on their own merit but the Bible declares that you must be saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone Jesus said let not your hearts be troubled you believe in God but Jesus said in himself believe also in me he said, for in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Imputation. Knowing this, what an opportunity we have as God's people. Our record if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What an account. That makes me want to tell somebody. The blood of Christ applied to my life. I want to go tell somebody about it. Let's stand to our feet. we all know we all know we all know that there are some it's whether neighbors family members friends that are either not been born again or they're not right with the Lord but there is one who God wants to, who God is willing to. God wants to speak in and through your words and also through your works to let them know that there is hope. The Holy Spirit of God, we that are saved, will give us the words, will give us the power to manifest that through our life that we can let them know I know this, that if it took me just walking across a room somewhere 
God could use his spirit working in me to draw them to him, I think I'd want to go tell them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this time. God, I just want you, God, to just speak to hearts, Father. God, maybe some need just comforting at this time, Lord. Some, maybe, some, maybe someone here needed this challenge here tonight, Father. But God, I preached and proclaimed what you wanted me to. I ask your blessings upon this. I thank you for the sweet, sweet spirit here in this place. God, in those, Lord, God, who are ready to make a difference for you, speak to them and empower them, Father. If one has not trusted you as Savior, that this night could be their day of salvation. In Jesus' name, we ask and pray. Amen. Amen. 134. Jesus paid it all. Mm -hmm.